It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Well, welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate you taking some of the time. This is going to be a good discussion today. We're going to talk about a little bit about the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because, you know, of course, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then instead of phoning a friend, we're actually going to sit down with uh, Senator James Langford. Uh, James Langford is the senator from the great state of Oklahoma. Uh, when I was in Congress, he was in Congress uh, in the House, and I actually got to sit shoulder to shoulder with him on the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. Uh, one of the smartest and, quite frankly, the nicest possible person you can meet, but highly competent, um, uh, a great background. We've done a previous podcast with him before. We talked a little bit more about his 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 bio and, and how he became a senator and his upbringing and all that. So we're not going to do that today. But being a sitting senator who doesn't sit, who actually gets out and get, you know, rolls up his shirt sleeves and does things, we're going to, I want to talk to him about the budget. I want to talk to him about appropriations. I want to talk about what's working and not working, certainly not working in Washington, D.C. But then I also want to talk to him about immigration because he leads a subcommittee dealing with immigration and you constantly see him down on the border poking around, understanding what's happening and not happening, the realities of what's going on at the border. I think that would be good. And then, and then uh, you know, ask him some other questions. So it's good to get the pulse a little bit more in depth when you can do that on a podcast, when we can spend a good, you know, 30 minutes kind of talking through what's working and not working. And, uh, and so James Langford, I really, really look forward to to doing that with him. Uh, also excited for the success of my book, quite frankly, if I can tout that for a moment, the puppeteers, the people who control the people who control America, uh, started off right out of the shoots, number one on Amazon and, um, thankful, thankful for that in, in so many ways. Um, you know, when you put together a book, it really does take an awful lot of time. Um, and it's, gosh, it took over a year and so much research. And in this book, the puppeteers, you not only follow the money, but then you start understanding the names, the organizations and who's working behind the scenes to in perpetuity, move things back. Um, and, and actually call the shots. Cause I think most people realize that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they're, they're not really pulling all the strings of everything that's happened or not happening here. And so really I'm thankful for the success there. And I hope you all have had a chance to see it and what, what not. So I still am bothered by, and I didn't know whether to put this in the stupid category, but I'm going to put it in the news category. But I watched this video of this youth choir, these youth that were there in the capital of the United States, House of Representatives, what's called Statuary Hall, statues of various leaders. Each state gets to pick two leaders or two people of historical significance from their state, and then they, they make statues of them, and they're in various places in the capital There's a small room where actually the floor of the House of Representatives used to be. And you can look down on the ground. There's these little placards that show that, 
you know, uh, Representative Garfield was sitting here once upon a time. But now it's, it's statues, and um, it's really in between the middle of the Capitol and the floor of the House. But there's a youth choir that comes together, and they were singing the national anthem. They actually got to the second verse of this uh, South Carolina uh, children's choir that stopped. And what you see here uh, is called Rushing Brook Children's Choir from Greenville, South Carolina. And then all of a sudden, you see this Capitol Hill police officer having a discussion with their leader, and they cut them off. Now, how a youth choir gets cut off from singing the national anthem in our nation's, nation's capital, I'm telling you, um, it is outrageous. Now, it's been said that the... Uh, the choir leader has said that Speaker McCarthy's office signed off and confirmed that they could do this. Now they're saying the Capitol Hill police that, oh, there was some miscommunication. And I'm telling you, why doesn't somebody ever get fired for some of this stuff? Why, why doesn't somebody actually lose their job at some point? That's what's so frustrating to me is these things happen, but then guess what? Um... Nobody loses their job. All right, I want to move on here because the attacks right now, and I'm going to put this in the category of stupid. So let's introduce the stupid because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, I want to I want to go and talk about the media that's uh, following uh, Casey DeSantis. Casey DeSantis is the wife of Governor Ron DeSantis. I have met with her. I have spent time with her. Ron obviously served in the House of Representatives for a number of years. I was in the House with them, in the set, in the uh, uh, the Judiciary Committee and the Oversight Committee. This is a wonderful, wonderful lady, and she is active. She she fights on mental health issues and illuminating those and and helping to fight against the stigma and and offer solutions she does some really neat night nice things but you know what the attacks that the so-called mainstream or traditional media make on her is absolutely horrendous and it's just outright stupid now they've tried to give her a nickname you know everybody likes giving everybody a nickname and you know what just because you're running for the highest office in the land doesn't mean you get to take pot shots at people and so for those people that are trying to attack somebody who is a breast cancer survivor, a mom of some beautiful children who happens to be the wife of somebody who's running for president, doesn't mean you get to take pot shots at her all day long. And so shame on those people. I think it's outright stupid and you look like idiots for doing it. That's my take on it. All right, let's transition now because again, I want to talk to um, Ron, uh, to <laughs> I want to talk to Ron DeSantis at some point. He would be good to have on the show, uh, but I really want to talk to James Langford. And um, I'm sitting here in New York uh, at the Fox Studios and uh, get to sit here with uh, James Langford. So rather than dialing somebody up, I'm thrilled to have. James Langford, the senator from Oklahoma, joining me. I used to sit shoulder to shoulder right next to this me. guy. Yes, for a long time. At OGR back in the House of Representatives. Jason, it's great to see you. We'll actually be you. here face to face as well. We talk on the phone, we text every once in a while, get a chance to catch up. 
and I've had the opportunity to be able to dial into your podcast before, but uh, it's a rare moment for me to be in New York yeah. and uh, to be able to sit here with you. <laughs> yeah, to actually be in person is, is way better. I did. I think I caught you on the road. You were driving between campaign spots in, in the middle of Oakland. Yeah, pretty good reception, though. I'm impressed. Well, good. Yeah, it just depends on the spot there in Oklahoma. <laughs> so you get up in the panhandle, it gets a little tougher. gets yeah. a little tougher. And, and you got tornadoes chasing you sometimes. You know, we, we, we work our way around them. We have good weather forecasting as well. So in the you go into the office of Senator Langford, and there is this massive, massive, I, would, I call it a supercell. It's a supercell. Like this picture is as big as the office itself, and it is the scariest, most ominous look. It is right over my desk, and I tell my staff that's my mood all the time. Just at any moment, I could drop a tornado. <laughs> You're like the nicest guy in the Senate. Are you kidding me? What, what is really funny is you know you know what it's like. Different world leaders and, and different folks will come in your office when you're right. you're in that role. And when we're visiting, almost always at the end of the meeting, we'll finish the meeting. And this head of state will pull me aside and will point to that picture and will say, is that what they really look like? And yeah. I'll go, that's a photograph. That's not a painting. Yeah, that's what they really look like. It's just that moment right before the tornado. It is on my bucket list to see it. Both terrifying and beautiful at the same time. I, I want to see it, but I like it, it'll scare the living daylight. Yeah, it will, so. because you, you just realize the, the sheer power of the storm when you see it. All right, so I'm going to take a real corny segue and say, well, that's sort of like being in the Senate because... All the disasters that are happening there, right? <laughs> Just any moment there could be a tornado through the Senate. Yeah, it's it, it, it's a bit of a mess right now. But here's what's interesting: there's actually real dialogue happening behind the scenes on some really important issues like immigration, like how do we start changing the process of how we do budgeting, some tax issues. So that that's different than when it was three years ago when there was very little conversation behind the scenes. It was all in open hearings and such. Now there's some really freewheeling dialogue in the hallways and on the floor and in private spaces to be able to say, okay, th th this is a mess. This this has to be fixed. That's a good first sign for me. The the real issue is you got to get something passed that actually works and helps the American people. You know, I was stunned, and I cite this statistic frequently, but since the 1972 Budget Act, only one time yeah. has there been regular order through the House and the Senate. And it just happens to coincide. I'm sure it's just a coincidence that that one time was the one time that the, the budget actually balanced. Right. Newt Gingrich was the Speaker of the House, and and uh, Bill Clinton was actually the President right. of the United States. Can be done. It, it can be done. It needs to be done. You know, Senator Braun is also one of my favorites. Just yeah. one term, now he's running for governor, governor of, yeah. of Indiana. But he, I heard him say recently, he said, I'm on the budget committee, and this is the most worthless committee in all of the Senate. We don't, don't do anything. anything. Don't and do anything. that should scare everybody. It should, actually. And the appropriation bill that was done last year, literally, there are 12 appropriation bills. You're supposed to do a budget bill, right. then 12 appropriation bills after that. Last year, no budget bill was done, and the 12 appropriation bills didn't even go through committee. It literally all showed up in December coming out of Schumer's office, and here's all 12 of them all together. So literally no committee work. Literally, and, and this is said figuratively at the time, this time literally no one had read the entire bill. Not even a staff member had read that. There's some staff members had read chapters, and then all those chapters were thrown together. No one had gone through the whole bill on it. So this is a bad process. It's only gotten worse that if we're going to get a better product, we got to get a better process in this. And we got to change that 1974 Budget Act to be able to do it. It's super wonky, nerdy stuff, right? but it's really important. Yeah, I think it was Harry Reid when he was Senate Majority Leader who said, don't worry, everybody, nobody will lose an election over process. You just, you're not going to lose one. But I think there comes a point where members have a degree of responsibility and they're going to pour their heart and soul and be away from their family like all the time. Right. 
and then to not be a participant in looking at a bill that shows up with hours to go and not be able to digest it. And the Senate is supposed to be the most deliberative body on the face of the planet. That's what I've heard. But yeah, (laughs) there's a difference between being a voter and a legislator. A legislator actually gets to put legislation together. A voter just votes on the final product on it. And what this whole process has done is it's moved senators from being legislators to voters where we get to vote up or down, like we did in the debt ceiling bill. We just get to get vote up or down. We weren't there when it was all negotiated. It just shows up. And so when appropriations are like that, so the year-to-year, you don't get any input on it, that's a real problem. So well, how do you fix it? I mean, it, it, it we keep pointing out the problem, but right. you know, there, when there I go talk to people that I interact with around the country, especially in my home state of Utah— they're like, I'm tired of illuminating the problem. I want actual solutions. So how do we do it? Yeah, there are actual solutions to this. And those are some of the things that I try to be able to bring. It's the same thing I bring to my staff all the time. My, my team, I tell them all the time, when, when that group of six old men are sitting there on Friday mornings at breakfast <laughs> at the coffee shop griping and complaining, hey, that's, that's easy. A, hey, that, that's, that's okay. getting a little too they, close they, to home now, they, James. They, they can do that. But if we're sitting in that group, whether it's one of my staff or myself, they're not griping and complaining. They're giving a to-do list. Right. So they're, they're saying, okay, these are the problems. They've got to be fixed on it. So it's our responsibility to identify how do you actually solve that. So for the Budget Act, we've got to change it from a fiscal year to a calendar year. Again, that's really nerdy, but September 30th can't be the deadline. It has to be the end of December because it ends up being that way anyway. That's the pressure point out. We've got to be able to do True. that. We've got to end government shutdowns in a way that actually works, that forces the appropriation process. I actually have a nonpartisan bill with Maggie Hassan, Democrat from New Hampshire, that we pull together and have agreement on, have multiple folks from both parties on it that says if you're going to, you, we can't have government shutdowns because government shutdowns force people to vote for bad bills. They'll say, okay, if, we, if you don't vote for this appropriation bill that no one has read, we'll have a government shutdown. Well, it's a right. terrible thing to be able to have over right. everyone's head. So the way that we do it is to say, if the appropriations are not done, then we just stay in continuous session until they are done and we can't shift to any other policy until this one's done. So that means mm. yeah. weekends, seven days a week, we're in session appropriations is the only thing that that can come up until this actually occurs. I guarantee you, you've been around it before. The weekends are important to members of Congress because we're trying to get back and forth to be able to see our families. And it's suddenly we're there two weekends in a row. Everybody's going to say, okay, open the bills up. Let's actually get this done and and get a chance to get it worked through. And that'll work. That's a process change, though. But we've got a whole series of issues that are there that we've identified to say, here's how we can change the way the appropriations process is done and actually get us back to that. Yeah, there's nothing like a deadline to compel action. It really... It's it's the biggest challenge in Congress because we have so few deadlines. uh, like, Like immigration. When's right. the deadline to fix immigration? Yeah, yeah. There, there's not a there's not a deadline, and everybody knows it's horrible and it's chaotic. But when's the deadline to actually? Get yeah, it, it just continues. I want to go to the border, but let's keep going on the budget and the yeah. appropriations process for a moment, because the numbers are so stunning. You know, one of the things I advocated and championed, I think I was a co-sponsor of a bill, if not a, the lead on one, I can't remember what it was, but is to move to a two-year budget process. That it's such a monster that. It's, you know, Texas did this yeah. and other states somehow have done they it. Somehow they stay open somehow in Texas. <laughs> right, right. And, and you can tweak things along the way. There's no doubt you're going to have right. to deal with certain emergencies or disasters or something that happens. But I also wish that we would budget for these contingencies. There's going to right. be a tornado in Oklahoma or, or Texas. Good prophecy. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's probably going to be a hurricane, a hurricane rolling yep. through the East Coast from right. Florida up. Um, but you need to budget for these things. Right. And rather than using it as the excuse, because I remember when Hurricane Sandy came through 
And the question was, are you going to vote for him? I'm like, of course we are. Of course we are. Sure. But they knew that. And so they started throwing in all this Everything other garbage. Right. Hey, that's a bill that's going to pass. Everybody's going to vote for it. And so they started throwing in all these other things that had nothing to do with the disaster at right. hand. And that that's the way they will go on it. So, yeah. yes, uh, th- there are process w- things that can change to be able to do that. One of those is a two-year budgeting. I'm also a big believer in that. It's $1.5 trillion in spending. Now, just let that soak in. $1.5 trillion in just discretionary spending that happens. If you do it in a two-year cycle, you get time to do oversight of that. If you yeah. have to do it every single year, you're literally never doing oversight. You're just preparing the next budget. So if we do one year, there's a budget preparation. The second year is an oversight year that that's yeah. entirely what you're doing is how is it being spent. Uh, that makes a big difference. I, I put out a book every year called Federal Fumbles. That oh, just it's the best. Oh, well, we, we're, this year we identified 50 areas to say, here's just wasteful spending. Can somebody explain to me? how this happened. It was uh, w- one we had was a study of the secret language of butchers in Paris, that they've had this secret butcher language since the 13th century. <laughs> Help me understand why that's a federal grant to be able to study the secret language. It, if some university wants to do that, especially in France, great. Yeah, We did a butterfly <laughs> study that we paid for, a, a study of European butterflies where we paid a Swedish scientist to study butterflies in Germany. I don't remember the Germans buying an American butterfly <laughs> study. I, I just look at this and go, this is ridiculous stuff that we say. And why? unfortunately, they're not one-offs. No, they're, they're not they're one-offs. But we just pulled 50 examples out and said, somebody <clears throat> explain to me how this happens. And how it happens is no oversight. Right. So if you do the budget in one year and oversight in the second year, it pulls a lot of that stuff into daylight. And then you start challenging, this kind of stuff can't happen anymore. <sighs> Where are you at in terms of having an appropriate? I know you're on appropriations. I right? used to be. I used was, to be. I was. I was kicked off because I'm a little too outspoken on it. You know what the appropriations committee's like. So you have these authorizing committees, at least. Right. And look, my perspective is solely on the House. I think there were 20 authorizing committees, mm-hmm. but then you have this appropriations committee that's off to the side, and they get to decide. And right. so. One of the things that drives me crazy in this whole process is, and Rob Bishop, the congressman from Utah who mm-hmm. retired years ago, he headed up, he was the chairman of Natural Resources. This would drive him nuts as well because they would do the, all this study, all these hearings, all this stuff, and then only to have the appropriators fund the very things right. that they were trying to pull back. And that seems to be the disconnect, is that Congress never really uses the power of the purse, right. which you you hear all the time. Oh, use the power of the purse. It's the most powerful thing. They, but it's a tool that's never used. Well, it, you, you can remember a time where you and I were sitting in the Oversight and Government Reform Committee in yeah. the House years ago when all the lowest learner hearings were happening with the IRS. That's right. We actually turned funding off on the IRS during that time period, and it got their attention. Yeah. It was suddenly, oh, we're losing funding over the fact that we're covering up for Lois Lerner and we won't give information to OGR. You use that leverage, you get the administration to actually follow through and to be able to have a shift. The IRS still complains about that season when they lost funding, but when I bring it up to the new director of the IRS, Danny Werfel, mm-hmm. uh, who came in after Lois Lerner right. in the uh, nominations confirmation process, I brought that time up to me, and he nodded his head like, oh, I remember. Yeah. And uh, so it's a, it's a powerful tool if Congress will use it. Yeah, no, that is that is how you get people's attention yeah. along the way. So, um, all right, let's shift to the border for a second, because okay. I've seen you go to your Instagram, you go to Twitter or whatever, you, you're going to see all these videos of Senator James Langford down there, usually with some other members and yeah. Dragon Ball, but doing some really good work in understanding the border. Right. What, 
When's the last visit? What 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 do we need to do? So then? I was there two weeks ago. It was the last mm-hmm. time I was there. It was in Nogales um, and in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah, I've been there. Yeah. Uh, so the, it's important to be able to go to different places. I, I serve as a ranking member on the Border Management Subcommittee, so I oh, should know okay. my stuff if I'm actually going to be in that position. So I'm, right, I'm right. down there pretty often to be able to engage. There's also an old running statement for the border is if you've been to one place in the border, you've been to one place on the border because it's yeah. not the same across 2,000 miles. It's different issues. South Texas is very different than Yuma, Arizona, very different than San Diego, a yeah. very different border yeah. issues that are there. In Tucson, when I was there in Nogales, here, and I always ask this question uh, when I get there, meet with Border Patrol, what's different? What What are you noticing as trends? Right. Because the cartels have different trends of what they're trying to do. The trend right now is um, bone chilling in many ways. The, tr- the first thing they said to me is, we are worried about our national security now more than ever. Because the people that are coming are not Spanish speakers that are coming right now. It's Mauritanians, it's Russians, it's Chinese, it's Pakistanis, it's Middle Eastern men. Uh, it's dominantly men in their 20s that are coming in with no documentation, just saying this is the country I'm from, just saying this is my name. We have no idea if that's the right person or not. We're literally what I call 10 printing, getting 10 fingerprints on those individuals, then releasing them into the country saying your <laughs> asylum hearing is three or four years in the future. Yeah. You can go anywhere you want in the next three or four years. Just show up for this hearing three or four years in the future. It is absolutely absurd. And the Border Patrol folks are saying these are th- their term, not mine. These are military age men from many countries that hate us that we have no criminal background history on these individuals at all, nor do we even know if it's their real name that they're giving us, and we're just shooing them into the country saying, we'll see you in three years. Hopefully they show up for their hearing. Wow. It's not going to happen. If we, have, if we have learned nothing, it is 9-11 took 20 people to be able to kill thousands of Americans when they overstayed a visa here in the United States, and we knew who those individuals were but didn't arrest them. These individuals, we literally have no idea who they are. And this is not a few. This is thousands. Two weeks ago, while I was down there, they had just picked up a Russian that came across that his his prince did show up because he was on our terror watch list for cyber terrorism. So we were able to arrest this person and to be able to isolate them. But the guys he was traveling with, they're in the country somewhere because wow. we had no other information on them. This is foolish. This is ignoring the national security and the terrorism risks that are happening now. So this is way beyond, hey, these are poor people that just want to be able to come in the country and work. These are individuals coming from terrorist-minded countries that we're just releasing into our country. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Senator James Langford right after this. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Yeah, if you go and look at the list, and it's been, you know, seven, eight years since I've been down there, since I left Congress, hard to believe, six years at the end of June. Um, But they have a category called OTM, other than Mexican. And, 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 you know, and then I went to the Eloy detention facility there in Arizona, outside Casa Grande, I think, Arizona. And I was surprised because they had detained people from more than, more than 150 different countries. Right. So I think the perception is, oh, they're, you know, coming from Guatemala, they're right. coming from Mexico, just trying to make their lives better. And certainly a good portion of them have done that. But it was stunning to see how many different countries right. are right. They know, they know. Just get to Mexico, 
pay your way through. And they come through. They, yeah. the, the, and the Border Patrol will tell you the border is secure. It's just secure on the south side. You don't cross right. without paying the cartels, and the cartels actually meter when people are going to come across at what place and what location. So the cartels do have a cutthroat, brutal organization just south of our border. But the individuals that are coming, they used to call the OTMs the other than Mexicans. Those are dominantly, you know, Guatemalans, Hondurans, Salvadorans. Right. Uh, that's what it was. Now they have another category called SIAs, special interest aliens. Oh. These are folks coming in from Russia and from China and from Pakistan and from other locations that, again, we have no information, no background information. They're being released in the country on an asylum hearing future date, just like everybody else. So the answer I keep giving to people is, uh, you know, I, I hear Democrats say, oh, we need comprehensive immigration reform. And I'm just like, no, we don't. First step is, why don't we enforce the current law, the right. law that's actually on the books right. that did pass Congress? Right. Why don't we start there? Because... It seems like the Biden administration, Kamala Harris, I guess, is the leader of this band. Who we've heard. Going and saying, no, we don't want to enforce the current law. That's what drives me nuts. Yeah, it does drive me crazy. There are some things that we need to do to be able to close any loopholes so no future administration can use the same loopholes that this one is using right. on asylum. And it's to clarify <clears throat> who actually gets asylum. I, I, I'm in the generation that thinks about asylum as some Olympic athlete coming over to the <laughs> you know Olympics in the United States. And when they get there from China, asking for asylum and everybody cheers it and goes look they're escaping from communism that's not what's being done anymore these are literally folks just showing up from guatemala and saying i have fear in my country and but what it really is is my uncle has already got a job in chicago and they said if you can get here i've got another job for you as well and bring your family with you as well because i've got a place for you to live and they just come and show up. It's not about fear in my country. It's about job opportunities. Well, we, we should have legal immigration for that. we got to fix the definition of asylum to make sure it's clear. Yeah, two thoughts come to mind. One is it was the Obama administration that changed the definition right. of credible fear right. and, and, and expanded out because the statute actually says credible fear and torture. Right. And, and not everybody's going to go back to their country and be tortured. Right. If And so it to, to expand that definition because of your... Oh, you know, I happen to be, uh, you know, gay or I happen to be you know, th these yeah. types of domestic things. violence. There's all kinds of things. And there's some terrible situations that you look at for poverty and other things. Yeah, but we, we understand that, but it doesn't qualify. Correct. And it doesn't necessarily qualify you to come to America. So my, my next question is, if you're in Mauritania, which, by the way, I, when I talked to the Border Patrol folks and they said, we've had a thousand Mauritanians in the last <laughs> ever. Uh, his initial statement was, I had to look that up. I had no idea where that is. <laughs> by the way, it's in West Africa. It's next to Mali. And so he's if, if you're coming, there are no direct flights <laughs> from Mauritania to Mexico. Okay, that's not how it happens. So they've got multiple routes and flights. Yeah. And the question is, why are none of those countries the countries you would seek asylum in? Right. Uh, there's there's probably eight Safe countries. Third they country travel. is right. what it's called. That, right. that you could actually do that. But no, they're getting to America for economic opportunity. Yeah. It's not about asylum. It's not like we're the only safe country in the world. We are a safe country, thankfully. The Biden administration is working to make us less safe all the time. But we are a safe country, and I get that. But we're not the only safe country in the world. In, in this press to say that anyone who comes here from any number of countries can come, come here and get asylum, that's not what it's like in Europe. If you go to Canada right now and cross the border, Canadian law says if you cross the border and ask for asylum, their first question is, did you just come from America? And if you say yeah. yes, they'll say, did you request asylum there before you came here? If you say no, they'll kick yeah. you right back to America. Yeah. Okay, we're not doing that right now. We're just saying no matter where in the world you're coming from, we're just going to allow you to be able to come in, not requesting you ever request asylum anywhere else. 
Uh, last question about the immigration situation. You know, what's heartbreaking is to hear that there are these tens of thousands of unaccompanied minors. Right. I'm not fully understanding. I like. I don't understand the family that says, "Hey, eight year old, mm-hmm. go risk your life. You're going to go with these people who we really don't know and cross the border." Like, I don't understand. Right. I, I physically, like, I just don't even comprehend that. But I have a hard time comprehending. The literally by the tens of thousands, this is happening. This is not some isolated case where, oh, you know, we look at this horror story. This is happening, and it's human trafficking. It's sex trafficking. It's it's some of the most horrific things I've seen. So let me let me start with the basics on the numbers. Almost every time you see a stat that gives you thousands of people that are unaccompanied minors, almost all those unaccompanied minors are 16 and 17-year-old males. Hmm. Now, if you're in Latin America and you're coming out of Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, 15 years old is when you're considered an adult. So in those cultures, so at 16 and 17 years old, they're basically saying to them, you need to go, your dad is working uh, in America right now, making a lot more money for the family and is sending money back. You need to go join your dad. And so most of the unaccompanied minors are 16 and 17 year old males that are coming. Some of them are 18 to 22 year old males that say they're 17. Uh, because again, yeah. we have no documents, right. but we we look at some guy with a beard and everything else, and he goes, "I'm I'm 16." You're like, well, "Okay, really?" We we don't know because we have no documents, so we just literally process them as if they are a 16 year old, 17 year old male, and release them in. There are still infants, what they call tender age. There are still folks that are four and five years old. Most of those, their parents are already living and working illegally in the United States, and they've got a family member that's taking care of this child, and they will actually get them all the way up to the border, and then we'll, you're right, pay a cartel member to be able to take them across the border. These kids are being abused. Uh, They're being often child raped. It's horrible what the cartels do to these children on it. And then they'll push them across the border, and then they'll go and join up with their family when they come in. We're actually the, the, the last mile delivery the United States government is for the cartels. So the cartels get them across the border. The United States government then gets them to their family member wherever they're currently living in the United States. Almost so all disgusting. the unaccompanied minors have family that are already here illegally present. And that's why I get tired of some of these Democrats talking about how compassionate they're, they're supposedly being. Because it is so... The opposite of being legal immigration is compassionate yeah. because it's not going through cartels. And that's who we're failing because right. we're failing the people that are trying to do it legally and lawfully. We do about a million right. uh, people a year right. legally and lawfully, and we're not taking care of them. And uh, it's just so frustrating. And it continues on. I'm glad that you're you're working on it. What are the okay? So we talked about the budget. We talked about immigration. These are two of the biggest issues. When James Langford driving around with his wife and wants to go to sleep, but he's tossing and turning and he can't sleep. What is he like? What do you, what worries you about what's happening in DC? Well, or I, not happening in DC? Well, I, a, a couple of things I look at on this. I serve on the intelligence committee as well. And uh, I, I'm a, I'm a bit of a fan of some old movies that are out there. One of them being men in black. If you know the men in black oh, yeah. movie. I'm, oh okay. yeah. So this is great scene in men in black where Will Smith, brand new agent right. runs out in the street with his tiny little cricket gun right. and just starts <laughs> blasting away. Tommy Lee Jones comes out to him. Says, put that down. And Will Smith says, the world's you know going to end if we don't do something. And Tommy Lee Jones says, the world's always going to end. <laughs> and it's best that most people don't know it. Okay, So <laughs> serving on the intelligence committee, I kind of feel that way at times because we right. go through some of the very real threats that are out there and some of the things that are coming at us and the ways that we're trying to be able to interdict those. But I can tell no one about it. But it's probably a good thing. 
uh, that people don't realize the threats just day-to-day life that's out there. But we have some remarkable people serving on the intelligence areas and in the intelligence community all over the world that people have no idea who they are, but are literally putting their life on the line for the United States and our national security all the time. So I, I track those issues, and those do bug me at times. And my wife will uh, will tell you at different moments, she'll catch me and go, you're really quiet today. I was like, yeah, sorry. Uh, and just you know, my mind is somewhere else thinking on some of these things. Uh, so that that's a reality. What's happening on the border, as I mentioned before, is a real national security risk. Uh, that's a real concern for me. But quite frankly, one of the issues I'm worried about just as an American is how angry we've become. We, yeah. We've moved from being upset about it to being angry what we're losing and what we've lost. And that anger doesn't actually take us to a good place. I don't know of a time when I think I make so much better decisions when I'm angry. I, yeah, I just right. I just don't. But we're becoming more and more angry and making worse and worse decisions. And anger doesn't actually persuade people to join you. Anger pushes people right. away. And if we're going to win elections and if we're going to win the day, yeah. we're not going to win it by being the angriest person in the room. Uh, and saying we're angry doesn't help. Actually winning people over, being winsome, engaging with truth, winning people over and saying, don't be afraid of what I believe. Come join me in what I believe. That's totally different. Yeah. No, I get a chance to go out and talk around the country still, you know, because my presence on Fox, right. I get invited and uh, I go out there and I talk about it. And I, and I said, look, you, you can put together the most clever tweet ever. Yeah. It's not going to move anybody. Sarcastic, angry tweets. It, really it's going to be cute and everybody get a, a, a chuckle. And one second later, they're going to swipe to the next one. Right. If you want to move people, you got to explain why you believe what you believe and talk from your heart and break bread with people and laugh with them and do it for all the right reasons. Because you know what? People can sniff things out. The sure. authenticity is not something you can really fake your way through. And um, it starts in your neighborhoods. You know, it starts in by paying attention to your loved ones and and just say, hey, we can disagree. It's OK. You know, but um, I, no. I think you're right. The anger, the tribalism, if you will. It is no, no, exacerbated. Just think about it. No one's ever moved me, and may, maybe everybody's different than me on this, but no one's ever moved me by coming and screaming and yelling and belittling me in a personal attack. I, I've never had somebody just cuss me out, and at the end of it, I've said, you are so smart. You know what? I should think like you. You're right. I, I just don't do that. I immediately respond back and push back on this. If we're going to win over a nation, yeah. then we're going to have to engage in conversations because we have the right ideas why would we not bring right ideas? I think we're frustrated that people see all these crazy ideas in the media that go, that's bizarre and crazy. Right. But if we're going to push back on that, it's not by yelling at the crazy idea. It's about giving a better idea in a way that people will actually receive. Well, I, look, I'm, I'm just glad that he's here and that his family lets him be here. I'm kind of glancing over at his wife, who's yeah, he's traveling silent today, yeah. over here. She doesn't want to have the microphone, but... Um, you know, it's a lot on families. It's a lot. To, I mean, yeah, that ultimately, yeah, I lived it. That's ultimately why I ended up leaving. And, you know, um, it's just very hard and difficult to be away. And I appreciate the sacrifice that you and your family makes because I know it's real. And But I'm glad that we have good people there. And James Langford is one of the good people. So thanks, Jason. I, I'm glad appreciate you're that. here. And thanks for the good work. And when he, when he talks, folks, listen to him because he actually knows what he's talking about. So. Well, trying to bring some solutions to the day because yeah. we, we can't just grab about the problem. we got to actually figure out how to answer yeah, this. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So thanks for joining us on the Jason in the House podcast. Thanks, Jason.
All right, I can't thank uh, Senator Lankford enough um, for for joining me. He, he's just, you know, if you look at who should and you want to be serving in the United States Senate, that's the kind of guy that you want there. Works hard, works smart, loves his country, good patriot, wonderful family, and you can trust him all day long. I mean, the, the litmus test for me is if I had to go away and my wife and I had to pick somebody to watch my kids and watch my money and assets and saying, hey, I'm going to be back in a while. I don't care if it's 10 minutes or 10 years. James Langford is that kind of person. He is just a rock solid person. And I, I hope you all have a chance to meet him. And people in Oklahoma, boy, you've done us a solid by sending him to the United States Senate. Uh, hoping you can rate this podcast. Really could use your help there. Rate it. That would be helpful. Subscribe to it if you'd like. I want to remind people that you can listen ad-free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Uh, Thanks for listening to us. Uh, We'll be back with more next week with an exciting guest. Until then, thanks for joining us. I'm Jason, and this has been Jason in the House. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch.